and welcome to another episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I am your host, David the Skeptic, and I am joined this week uh, by two participants. So just think of me as David, the moderator, in this corner, Teddy the Bear, <laughs> and Hi, in the other corner, Sister Sarah the Slayer. Happy New Year to everyone. So not appropriate as a title, but anyway, I'm so moderate, really. Really, really. You'll find out. You'll find out. She's really a nice person. Um, so we're going to talk about, um, by the way, Teddy, uh, our resident uh, Christian, for now, our pet but not tamed Christian, um, and uh, Sarah, uh, a hard-bitten uh, radical skeptic masquerading <laughs> as a moderate. <laughs> exactly. Well said. Well said. And uh, today, um, first of all, we just don't have enough female voices in the conversation with a capital C. And I am always happy to host uh, women with good, strong opinions uh, because I think those voices and those perspectives need to be heard. Uh, this is like so many other conversations is dominated by white males of which I am not one, (laughs) but, um, but still I will count myself as one, uh, in this regard. We need, um, we need to promote uh, a bit more egalitarian, uh, egalitarianism when it comes to this particular conversation. And so I'm glad to be able to do, uh, my part in bringing these two together. Also, um, Although uh, many of you, uh, the listeners, have come to know Sarah uh, through a number of our podcasts, You've also, you're also able to read uh, her work in Still Unbelievable. You can find it uh, at reasonpress.com, download it or read it there for free, uh, or go to Amazon and pay me 99 cents. I'm good with that, too. But you can just get it for free at Reason Press. Uh, actually, it's reasonpress.net. Reasonpress.net. Um but a lot of you don't know uh, Teddy. Uh, you know, if you read the blogs, uh, you may have met her there, but I know that most of you listeners don't read the blogs. Uh, and so uh, your experience with the show is just the podcast. And so I want to take uh, a little bit of time to introduce Teddy and have a, rather than a fearsome debate, uh, a conversation uh, between uh, two people from different uh, polls. Uh, on the spectrum of uh, religious belief. And uh, as they talk about and share their stories, and as we uh, look at uh, various topics, I think that we will come to know us all a little bit better. And hopefully uh, this discussion will raise more questions than it answers. And you can bring those questions to the uh, show discussion page, skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. And uh, we will be hanging out probably all week, because we don't have a life, and we'll be glad to interact with you and uh, go further in-depth to the things, to the surfaces that we scratch today. Uh, So, uh, welcome both, Sarah. I'm going to uh, just start with you and get you out of the way briefly, because I want to spend most of my time on Teddy. (laughs) That's not... Well... That that, that came out wrong. Uh, So, but but I'm not going to try it again because I've got a feeling it would just come out wronger. <laughs> if 
I did. You dug yourself there, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you, David, for this opportunity. I have to say um, it's uh, it's good to be on, but uh, you and, and Dale obviously cut carefully crafted a very high reputation highbrow high level podcast with uh, quality research and deep in-depth discussion so i hope uh, we don't let you down here too much i you seem to be uh, pretty keen on crashing your reputation in one episode with certainly with my appearance here because i will not be uh, to the same standard but you have had this strange hankering well dare i say even weird fetish to see these two two ladies wrestle it out live on uh, on air so uh we're just uh, giving you what you want for for two, for twenty twenty. Yes. What can we say? <laughs> All right, um, Teddy, uh, how you doing? Uh, doing well. How about you? Here's what I know about you: uh, you're a defense attorney. Uh, yes. You're a shroud loony, um, and um, <laughs> that's about it. Do you think we can learn more today? Well, sure, sure. Uh, Although, you know, as I think I've mentioned before, I grew up in the uh, Greek Orthodox Church. And uh, as I just noticed with some of the topics we're getting into, I don't know that I'm going to have a scholarly-like answer to them, but I will do my best. So let let me just insert here before you go any further. Um... I am not the scholarly side of skeptics and seekers. <laughs> I, I never much cared for the scholarly aspect of it. In fact, uh, when we wrote our book, the uh, team, the Reason Press team, uh, to respond to Justin's book, uh, I went out of my way to make sure that we did not write a scholarly book. Um, now, there were, there were some very academic uh, people among us, but I wanted to, it was, it was very important to me editorially to write a book that was accessible to everyone. Uh, even when we were dealing with, uh, difficult, uh, very difficult and challenging topics, uh, that required a lot of research. Uh, so I don't want you to mistake, uh, being casual about some of these topics for unresearched. That said, I think that if the conversation with a capital C uh, of spirituality, religion, uh, faith, belief, lack of belief, if this conversation requires too much scholarship, then I think that uh, it excludes too many people. Uh, it, it has to be something that is accessible for everybody. In fact, when I was a Christian, when I was, when I was preaching, I always believed that the, the, the message of Jesus had to be accessible by the least of us. And if it wasn't, then there's something wrong with the way you're presenting the message. Uh, and I think that skeptics and seekers um, went too far uh, for for a long time. I, I felt that way. We've we went too far, and so I plan to correct, maybe overcorrect that. I I don't want the 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 whiff of academia on this show. That's that's not what we're about. Uh, obviously, you know, sometimes we have guests that are that are highly academic, but my goal is to have them talk about their issues in a way that's very approachable, not try to rise to that level of academia. So, I don't want you to feel like you're bringing the tone of the conversation down. You're bringing the tone of the conversation to where it should be. 
Well, certainly, well, I certainly speak for myself. To I'm a, your average Joe. I'm a, I don't have any training in any of this, least of all theology or philosophy. So, uh, and I would have considered myself a pretty averagely uh, informed Christian at the time. So, yeah. So those are those are the people that I want to talk to. I want to talk to real believers and real non-believers, real people about you know real things that have real consequences in their lives. Um, yeah, I want, to, I want to talk to people about, as uh, uh, Matt uh, Delahunty uh, would put it, uh, what do you believe and why? Uh, these things don't require any research. <laughs> so um, let's, let's not um, layer more burden on people than is necessary. Uh, I want to open the floodgates to talk to more people like you guys. Um, heck, uh, our conversation uh, with uh, me and Brian with a Y last week it was almost too highbrow. I did not realize that Brian was this intelligent. <laughs> so, it was great. It was great. It was good, I will, I it was will good be, to have a, a uh, kind of more general question. Yeah, where you didn't need to have expertise and uh, and listening to that was uh, was it was a good episode. So the uh, next episode, I usually say this to the end, but uh, I'll just insert it here now. The next episode will be Darren, the true original lay skeptic. <laughs> There's no way it's going to be that highbrow of a conversation. <laughs> it better not. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> Darren, try not to take offense to that. Um, so let me uh, swing my offense blade back to my guests. Uh, Teddy, um, yes. Greek Orthodox. Uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that most of the audience has no idea what that is. All right, we, we know what Catholic and Protestant is. We, mm-hmm. we know kind of the difference between high church and low church, kind of. Uh, we know Baptist, Methodist, uh, maybe a little Presbyterian, maybe some Episcopal, uh, uh, Pentecostal, char- uh, you know, with various charismatic movements. Um, nobody knows what the heck Greek Orthodoxy is. What, what is that? You say you were raised in it. Right. And by the way, right. even I don't know. I'm not just playing the the um, common man here. I have no idea. Well, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church uh, and the Catholic Church, a long time ago, they were one. And because of political issues, I think one had to do with the Greeks did not agree with having a pope and... Uh, and I'm sure there were other things as well, there ended up being a split between the church. So then you had the Catholic part, and then you had the Greek Orthodox part. So all I remember is in college, you know, hearing that, well, if you can't find a Greek Orthodox church to go to, the next best thing would be going either to a Catholic church or an Episcopalian church. There they're very, very similar. Um, I would say that, at least from my experience in the, the Greek church that I grew up in, uh, we might be a little bit more laid back than the Catholic church. But, um, you know, it, it's, I would consider it pretty, pretty mainstream. Uh, there was not, uh, I never felt any sort of uh, messages of hellfire and brimstone coming from the pulpit. Uh, 
religion was uh, approached as a, a more positive thing. They didn't. I don't know that there were all these messages of uh, don't do this, don't do that, uh, negativity. I mean, that was. It's it, it came up, but that wasn't the overarching message that we as the parishioners were receiving. And and I think that there are some uh, some churches where there tends to be a lot of that. And I strongly suspect that many people who later on go to become atheists might come from those churches that tend to be a little bit more domineering uh, with their parishioners. What, what was the view of hell, if you don't mind me asking, in terms of what what was the actual doctrine that they, they adhere to in the um, Greek Orthodox? I mean, they, see, that's what I mean. It's like they don't, I don't remember there being a doctrine of hell. Uh, I, you know, we, there, the Bible talks about hell and fire and stuff like that, but I, I can't recall ever having heard in Sunday school. I mean, we knew, I think we all kind of, as kids, you find out about hell, but uh, that really wasn't ever something that was focused on. Uh, and, and that's kind it, of what I think of as uh, perhaps a little bit more of an academic uh, aspect to the Bible, other than just, okay, the Bible talks about, uh, you know, there's hellfire, and, but, you know, we don't know if that's a little bit of a description, if it's a metaphor versus... So, you don't, so is it a place people go or is it a place people could be... Did it exist? Is it just metaphorical? Is it... What, what's... Oh, no. Should you be I, yeah. worried about it? Or oh, I mean, you have well, alluded to the fact on the boards that we need to, you know, think about our decisions this side of eternity uh, more carefully because otherwise the consequences could be. Uh, yes, yes. So okay, presumably so, you, you believe it's a real place or something about the, what about the devil and the evil side? And uh, what's the view on, on that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in that respect, uh, yes, we... Uh, the Greek Orthodox definitely uh, adhere to the traditional concept that there is definitely some place called hell, and whether it's with you know a lake of fire or whether it is an absence of God, and uh, you know, I'm not so sure that they ever really delved into that. But in ter- the focus was. You know, you you want to accept Christ as your Savior, uh, so that you can, and you want to believe in God, to to love God, to to follow His rules as best you can, but to accept uh, Christ's uh, dying on the cross, and that He wanted to be our Savior, and to to use that to to get to heaven. I mean, if you believed, if you believed it literally, mm-hmm. uh, and that was taught, it, I don't know how you can say, but that's not the focus. The focus is the love part. So this is, this is something you're not unique in saying this. So I'm not trying to say you're, you're, you're saying mm-hmm. something, um, you know, totally, totally strange, but it, it does sound funny to my ear 
because so let's just think of the, maybe the worst thing that we can imagine that could happen to us in this life. Say, um, say someone kidnaps our kid mm-hmm. uh, and says, uh, "Look, uh, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to torture your child uh, in." ways too unspeakable to be spoken of directly on this podcast. Um, But I don't want you to focus on that. I want you to focus on the fact uh, that I love you. And um, I will reward you if you do what I say. Doesn't that sound a bit hollow to you? Um, That that sounds sounds rather impossible to me, uh, that a person could just kind of shrug off the the whole oh well he's got my kids going to torture them if I don't obey him but but I really love him so I'm going to focus on that do, so, do, you, do you see how that sounds to the ear well I I think it depends on how you frame the question uh, you're framing it in a way to um, to make God look sinister and the way I see it is completely different. I see it as God is our parent. And, and of course we have, you know, with the, the Trinity, there's God, the father. And like every parent knows and everybody who's not a parent, you can still kind of pretend you're one or, or observe parents. And Parents do their best to to get their children to behave in a good moral way. Well, the natural human condition is that we tend to not always want to do what is the good moral thing. We want to do what's fun. We want to do what pleases us. And a lot of our natural inclinations are not as God would prefer them to be. And so God, just like with parents where they'll tell their kids, Hey, if you, you know, behave in a certain way, if you do what I want you to do, you can get all sorts of rewards. Good things happen to people that do good. Uh, But if you don't, there's going to be punishment. So the way I see it is that God is so trying to persuade us to go in the right direction to be with him because he loves us and he wants that's why he created us he wanted uh to to have us to to be with us and so he is doing everything that he can to persuade us but he gave us free will because without free will, it, we're just robots. And of what worth is love from uh, a robot? It's just, it's pre-programmed. So it's not real. And so uh, the way I see it is God wanted to create this huge contrast between what is good in, in terms of the promises of the, the wonderful uh, aspect of heaven and to create a drastic contrast with hell so that, in my opinion, and I don't mean to be insulting to anybody, but so that every sane person would be, well, 
of course I want to go to heaven. It, he's trying to make, <laughs> he's trying to make the contrast very, very clear so that, it, you know, it's like who in the world's going to pick the other thing. And so, but I, who was it? I, was it C.S. Lewis or somebody? I, I remember reading a quote that uh, it, and, and it deals with God and free will and that God will woo us to try to come to, to heaven, but not rape us. So he is giving us the choice and it, 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 and it is up to the individual to choose. Do you want to go with God or do you want the alternative? Okay. No, it feels it like just, rape. You're, well, so no. You're, you're, but you're a defense attorney, so maybe you can, maybe you can speak more directly to this. But you know, no matter what analogy you use, whether it's a woman being wooed by wooed by a man who won't take no for an answer, or an overbearing parent, let's say the overbearing parent uh, makes me a little bit less queasy. Um, so you say to your child, yeah, so I, I mean, I won't, I want you to make the right choices and do the right things. Um, but if you don't, I'm going to rip your arms off. I'm going to torture you. And then I'm going to kill you at some point. And, and you're constantly, you know, but I love you. So, you know, do the right thing, take the candy or I'm going to kill you. Okay. Is that okay? Or I'm going to stab you right in the eye. Or, I mean, this is <laughs> right. I mean, that's psychotic. Um, well, and well so, parents do issue those kinds of threats. Maybe not the stabbing in the eye. <laughs> but the stabbing <laughs> in the eye would be ominous. better. That would be better than what God is offering, what he's issuing. Um, How do we know what God is actually going to do? Uh, see, that's the other thing. That There's a lot of assumptions there. Just Just because he says one thing, in the Bible, in terms of what hell is, we don't know if it's metaphorical or not. But, uh, but we don't. You just don't said it was really clear. He's given you two clear object, uh, two clear alternatives. That's the issue. And now it's not clear. I mean, which is there a hell that people who don't believe the right thing go to, or is there not? Is pretty much the question. And. It, if he's not left good enough evidence that persuades people, should they be morally responsible, uh, held morally responsible for that, for just not being able to believe it? Or who? Um, it's, I think you, you come from a, an aspect where you can't believe people can't believe or don't believe, and that it's just automatic that you should just buy this story. I mean, it's so full of holes, even just what you've said so far. But I'll let you finish, and then I'll I'll say my bit afterwards. But. Well, I, I as, think... as, you're, as you're talking about Hill and answering that question, I also want to make sure that I'm getting a, the right picture of the Greek Orthodox Church. So, I mean, would you say that the way you're describing it is an inaccurate description of Greek Orthodoxy, or is, is this just kind of a peculiar congregation that you went to? Um you know, I, I kind of thought Greek, or, Greek Orthodoxy was like Catholicism light. Um, but That's I, probably accurate. I mean, it. I, I just, I don't, I don't remember from the, you know, hearing sermons that, for example, I don't know. I've never um, been, I, I guess maybe I've been to one or two Catholic services uh, just with friends, but uh, I get the impression that, for example, Catholic priests may talk a lot about abortion or, or things, issues like that from the pulpit. And I don't remember ever hearing politically charged uh, topics coming from the pulpit. 
well, I'm just really curious now. What what did they talk about? <laughs> so you're giving me a, a pretty long list of things that uh, you know, ba- you know, fairly basic Christian topics that they don't talk about. What? So what I is Greek really. Orthodoxy? Well, and you know, I once I went to to college where, you know, I didn't have to do everything my mom told me to do. I, I, I have not been much of a regular church goer at all. Uh, just going, you know, very little here and there. Uh, I went to a Methodist church a little bit with, uh, I was taking my son because he, a friend of his was going, yeah, why why uh, did you stop going? Because uh, on the boards, uh, I don't want to bring in too many things from the boards because people don't know you from the boards, but I know that you have um, kind of held up the Greek Orthodox Church almost as an example of a good church that you could go to. And, and you know, some of the problems with the skeptics is that they didn't go to a good church. And if they had had a, you know, a better um, church, then maybe they wouldn't feel this way. So if, if it was that good, why don't you still go? Well, it... It what I was saying. I wasn't trying to um, denigrate other churches, but what I was trying to express was that I think that some churches tend to be a little bit more extreme in terms of uh, trying to control parishioners, uh, and sometimes that doesn't go over well with certain people, and it can repel them. And so, and strong, real strong opinions tend to have that as a potential downside. So I, that's one of the reasons why I think that you tend to get more atheists that come from churches that present these stronger opinions. And why I said that I would bet that many of the atheists, had they gone to a more laid back church like mine, I don't think that they would have become atheists. No, that's not to say that my church was better. I'm just saying that I think that it it wouldn't it it's so kind of milk toast in that respect, in that you don't have people pushing stuff down your throat. It it it's it has to do with the culture in the church, is is I think what I'm getting at. But in mm-hmm. terms of why I have not, as an adult, uh, been much of a churchgoer, <sighs> to be very candid, and I'm not proud to say this, um, I don't like that I'm saying it, but I'm just being truthful, I just never got a lot out of going to church. It just <laughs> didn't appeal, to, it didn't appeal to me. I totally uh, understand. It's, it, yeah, yeah, it. In, in, especially in the Greek church, it's very heavy on ritual. I speak mm-hmm. Greek, but the Greek, I mean, much of the service, and it's, gosh, it's about two hours, a lot of it is in Greek, high, like, not ancient Greek, yeah. but this uh, very boring. formal boring. Greek. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't it's boring. Care. Yeah, and it's like, I don't care for the hearing choir music. I don't care mm-hmm. for the music, you know, organs, but even if it was a modern music and, and choir mm-hmm. and all that, it's, that just, it just doesn't appeal to me. I'd rather sit in a lecture for two hours or longer hearing or talking about religion or reading about it uh, like that 
so it's it has nothing to do with religion per se. It just it's, it has to do with the format. The expression I actually, of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I prefer yeah, Sunday school to church. Well, why don't you go to Sunday school? Because I don't want to wake up early. In the <laughs> Are you committed to this particular God in a quite extreme way? Okay. I'm, not, I'm not trying to no. be overly harsh on you, uh, no, no. Teddy, but you're, you're kind of extolling the virtues of the church that's almost perfect for you. They're boring. And they have long and they have long lectures, and you and you prefer that. But you no, don't want to go. No, they don't have long lectures. No, but I'm not trying to. Uh, then why not go to, why not go to a Greek... church? Why not go to a church then that does the things that you like? I mean, I've been to those. I've been to those too, and I just I'm I don't like the format. I, I just what, am not. Is there any format that you like? <laughs> I I prefer. Having uh, honestly, I, for example, I, I've told some friends of mine how I, I find it uh, interesting that I've been learning more about uh, aspects of religion hanging out with a bunch of atheists on the boards, mm-hmm. skeptics mm-hmm. and seekers, because we bring things up and then I'll, you know, delve into that. I get curious about it. So then I start researching it and I find out all sorts of new things. And that's the type of thing that that's appeals how you grow to your me. faith. Yeah, yeah. 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 And so yeah. I, I, even though, and, and plus, uh, growing up, I went, uh, off and on to some private church schools. One was Lutheran, um, and the other one was Baptist. So we had, uh, we went to chapel once a week, uh, and we also had a, a Bible class. So I feel like I have enough of an understanding of what Christianity is all about to where I I have formulated my decisions, and, 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 and especially as a 16 or 17-year-old when I learned about the Shroud, of Turin and uh, the evidence that backs up Christianity. Uh, And then in college, um, listening to, uh, there was, I I don't know if you would call him an evangelist, but uh, a gentleman named Cliff Connectly, he's a a minister now in uh, Connecticut, but he would go from campus to campus across the country and for uh, five days, uh, a week or, or five for five days every year he'd spend uh, at a campus and he would congregate in the free speech area of the campus where all of us political junkies would hang out and he would have this huge crowd of atheists, agnostics, religious people and he would take questions from everybody and for the whole day he would have just this huge crowd around him. And I, I learned a lot from him. And so uh, it was very refreshing to me with both the shroud and with the things that I learned from Cliff to, uh, to have really good evidence to back up my faith. Whereas before that I was, I was just brought up in the faith. So there was indoctrination that went on naturally 
you know, what usually happens with most parents and their children. But I then came to affirm it very independently. And had I, uh, you know, come to a different conclusion, I, I, I'm the type that, you know, would have voiced that. Okay, so I just, uh, before we move on, I just want to make sure that um, I have this correct. It, it, long and short of it, you don't really think that church is important. Is, it, is that a fair thing to say? You wouldn't be the only, you wouldn't be the first Christian who felt that way. Um, well, I don't, I wouldn't say that. I, and I think it's a fault of mine. Um, I'm not extolling what I do. Um, I would quite frankly prefer that I was not this way. I just, this is how I am. I'm not aware of anything in the Bible that says to be a good Christian that you have to go to church. I wear my faith and I show my deep and profound respect for God and his laws by, and I'm really not exaggerating when I say this, I constantly think in terms of, you know, do unto others uh, as you would have them do unto you. I, that is something that has always been at the forefront of my brain at the Lutheran uh, school that I went to, which was from kindergarten to second grade. There was a big sign with the golden rule as we were going to the library and we would pass that every day. And that burned a message in my brain. And, and when I do my very best, you know, we all have faults and and none of us are, are perfect. But when I try to frame my interactions with people every day, I don't always, that's not always what I want to do. We're we're selfish by nature, but uh, a lot of times I will do things that I don't really want to do because I have that in the back of my mind and I know that that is what God wants me to do. And so I change my behavior in what I do. So are, uh, are you aware that this thing that you're quoting as the golden rule has been around for thousands of years? Uh, yes, much, yes. Much longer Confucius. than Jesus. And yeah. so there, there are plenty of uh, atheists. Now, I happen to be one of those atheists who doesn't think that it's a, a particularly good rule. But that's a, that's a topic for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, plenty of, there are plenty of atheists who do. And so if what you're saying is that the true, the only important expression of your faith is that you live a good, uh, morally uh, worthwhile life, that covers a lot of atheists too. Uh, yeah, but there's so, a difference. So, okay, not... so tell me, how, tell me how living a good life is an expression of your faith as opposed to it just being an expression of your humanity. Now, my, my following the golden rule, uh, like the way the atheists follow the golden rule, they're doing it because they just adopt that as their opinion. And I'm not adopting it because it's my opinion. I'm adopting it because 
my God tells me that that's what he wants me to do. So there's a big difference uh, in terms of when something is a law. You know, when, when we see a speed limit, would we all be uh, following the speed limit if there wasn't, uh, if there weren't repercussions to dis- disobeying it? I think we would, because otherwise we'd live in a culture where you just know everybody wouldn't listen to it and they'd be mowing down your children left, right and centre. So um, I think people can follow the golden rule because they want to live in a society that upholds that kind of those sort of values. Otherwise, we can all see it would degenerate into a pretty awful place to be. So I think the golden rule has been around for a very long time for very good reasons. I mean, Confucius came up with not quite the same thing. I agree that Jesus honed it a bit and refined it. And so it's possibly a little bit more applicable, but it's certainly built on what Confucius had said previously. So uh, it's not it's not particularly anything new. It's certainly a good one to, to live by if you just mean, you know, just be kind to others and and uh, don't abuse them and that sort of thing, because you wouldn't want that done to, your, to, to yourself. But uh, uh, it's it's nothing particularly new in in the Bible, but and and I do agree with that. But it, it's it's kind of like if somebody says, "Well, what's your, you know, what's your favorite color?" and you just pick whatever you want. That's one thing, but it's it's quite another when there is uh, a God who is the moral lawgiver, and He tells you this is what you should do. So. Confucius, you know, he's, you know, hey, let's pick a winner. Let's go with this philosophy. Uh, And then the people who adhere to that, they're just making a choice saying, you know, hey, I I like doing this, so I'm going to follow it. But what happens with the, the person that says, you know what, I like killing people. I like raping people. I, you know, I like torturing babies, whatever. Uh, you know, they can say, well, you know what, I just don't adopt that philosophy. And if they don't feel like there is any uh, repercussion, any punishment to choosing that, then it's a very easy choice if that's how their conscience or lack of conscience steers them. But when, but even bad people and, and some people are more inclined towards uh, evil than others. But even evil people, when faced with repercussions, will sometimes change their behavior so as to not suffer bad repercussions. Whereas if there are no repercussions, then the sky's the limit. So we've got to be crystal clear that there are repercussions repercussions what you're saying is that the greek orthodox church did believe in some sort of judgment and some sort of um final kind of ending place whether it be hell or heaven yes uh, yes yeah, in yeah. that respect I mean, yes for yeah. sure okay um, so you, you did get you did get the heaven hell message i wouldn't say it's that different from say the anglicans in the uk who um who would who are pretty i mean there's a whole range of within the anglican church of high church with which is almost bordering on catholic kind of lots of rituals and smells and bells they call it um and then there's kind of uh, more evangelical um church of england type thing uh at the other end so i, I think and I, I was brought up in that environment baptist church now when i say baptist
Baptist, it would be more like an Episcopalian. Uh, it's not like the Southern Baptists in the States or anything like that. Um, it's all pretty moderate stuff. I, I, I know you believe that, um, well, I, I've made you aware that I was in a kind of a charismatic church for a little while. That was for about eight years. Um, but my parents left uh, in horror after a couple of years. So, And I only kept going because I fancied the boy. Uh, at the church, who I'm just celebrated 25 years of an anniversary the, oh, yesterday. So, congratulations. Um, so, well, some good, you know, some good things came out of church. <laughs> but yeah. um, so, I do think we actually the messages we got were that different. I was never particularly overly concerned about hell. I wasn't going there, so why did I care? Um, I just knew it's a place where people went. They chose to go there. They chose to reject God, and therefore there are consequences. That seemed fair enough to me. You know, if I disobeyed my parents, I'd be sent to my room. So it, it worked in the like, eye. Yes, well, exactly. Um, it it made Sorry. it made perfect sense. They had it coming. They could have done something about it. They had every opportunity. They've hardened their heart. They're not listening. They're not believing. Um, it seemed a fair a fair trade that for the short seventy years they might live on this planet that they spend eternity eternity in in hell. That all made complete sense, and I could still reconcile that with a loving God. So I really don't think I actually had a very different. Um, uh, view or, or upbringing to you we were we were encouraged to go to church we went to all sorts of types of churches i mean both in france and in the uk and um from evangelical to um baptist as i say baptist and anglican and uh everything in between uh, salvation army in france and uh, they're all pretty decent people and we and there was no sort of fire and brimstone messages from the pulpit though there was obviously altar calls type thing from time to time uh, when you had uh, kind of meetings where you're supposed to invite your friends to kind of try and lure them in and tell them the, the good news. It was more the good news. That See, like, we don't do that in the Greek church. There's you no, don't try. I, David, no. early on, when I started commenting in the on the boards, said something about an altar call. I had to Google that. I was like, what's an <laughs> altar call? You know, we don't, it, it's just. How'd you get them in? Uh, you know, we, I don't know that we go trying to fish people into the church or, uh, you know. I, but you believe that they could have eternal consequences and you don't go and try and help them to, to see the truth? That seems a I, little bit callous. I don't, I don't remember that ever being a message that I got. I got that message. I remember in college, my, uh, my roommate uh, had invited me to come to uh, a non-denominational church. And there was a message that the preacher said, and I, I thought it was quite profound. And he brought up, you know, why do you, why are there missionaries that go to different places to, to try to, to convert people to Christianity? And, and he said, if you think about it, if you really do believe that the consequence for not believing uh, is hell, and mm -hmm. and I think it, you know the Greek Church, and I, I think probably even in the non-denominational church, there's the sense. I don't know that it's explicit in the Bible, but there's uh, there seem to be. Uh, definitely the impression in the Bible that perhaps people who have never had the opportunity to learn of God, mm -hmm. uh, Judged you know, on they their might conscience. get a bit of a, a chance. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, 
but I mean, that's that's question one, isn't it? When you're a kid, what about all the little Muslims? What about all the little Indians? Exactly. You know, and you're like, ah, oh, they're all going to go to hell. And then, well, my parents were bright enough to say, no, I think God, you know, judges them on their conscience. If they're running around the jungle in a in a toga, you know, in a loincloth thing, they get a, they get a little chance to um, to be judged on their conscience. So I was always like, oh, phew, okay, yeah, it seems fair. But, but yeah. I don't we, know we would have said they explicit. got in on a baby ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I don't know that, I don't think that the Bible says anything explicitly to that effect, so that in an abundance of caution, uh, or, you know... Uh, don't you think it should? Don't you think it should make this pretty damn clear? I mean, really yeah, clear? Like, on the greatest no it did. Yeah, you know, no I'd debate. love it if it did, but, you know, unfortunately, I, I wasn't the one that wrote it, but... But I, but the the preacher he he said, you know, if you really believe all of this, then and if you love your fellow man, that you will want to try to save as many people as you can in the same way that if you saw a building on fire, and that there are people there, um, and so that really made an impression on me. No, I I'm not one of these folks that. Uh, tend to try to push religion. Uh, most of the time, we don't even discuss religion with my friends. I, I think that sometimes, perhaps, on the board, some of my comments may give a different impression of how I am than what I really am. But it's because I'm on a board discussing religion. And so uh, that's why we're getting into the subject. But I don't I have friends who I've had some friends who are atheists. I've had some friends who are agnostic. I have friends that are Jewish, Muslim, all sorts of folks. We're not, we're not discussing religion. I'm not trying to hit them over the head with, Mm -hmm. uh, with religion because, uh, no evangelists are fairly distasteful. (laughs) Generally they they tend to rough, actually run roughshod over people's free will. I think we were, again, I was, my parents were very good about this. We didn't force it down anybody's throat. It was all pretty, pretty relaxed. It's in God's hands. You just, you might pray for them occasionally, but there's no kind of knocking on your neighbor's uh, door and and pleading with them to, to say the sinner's prayer. So honestly, I think, uh, I think the backgrounds were pretty pretty similar then that we i mean i had my foray as i say into the charismatic um, movements but i was always on the fringes of that i was never the one barking like a dog at the front on all fours i was always at the back thinking what the heck is going on here i'm really not comfortable with it why are these people acting like this and running out the door so you know i wasn't think that that has factored it because eight years is a long time especially in your formative years uh don't you think that that had a lot to do with why you became an atheist, at least subconsciously? To because yeah. I think you were saying that it was, uh, was it the shepherding movement or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, mean, we're part of the Barney Coombs uh, shepherding movement, which came over from the states, which was quite a heavy-handed hierarchical thing. Again, my parents had no, did not buy into this. They were shunned by the church for even having a different view. So I, I'm quite um, a, 
I was quite made aware, even as a, as a small child, 11, 12, that, you know, not agreeing with everything in the church got you um, seen as different and stuff. I had no problem with it. I never associated it with God. I associated it with the characters in the church as people who were um, failed, <coughs> failed business people who <laughs> tried a different career as pastors um, and uh, who, yeah, had uh, personality traits that made them fairly overbearing and were mostly insecure. So I, I quickly tranched, actually. I, I was, I don't think that's had an effect at all. I could, I think it made me wiser as a Christian and I could see that, um, you know, that uh, churches were fallible. Uh, churches had uh, human influences um i think it, it did me quite a lot of good it wasn't that that was it was absolutely it didn't even uh appear in my in deconversion and i just for the record would like to say i'm not i don't like the word atheist i think it's too black and white i'd say i'm epistemologically agnostic i don't know i don't claim to know i don't make any fact claims about any of it really um but i do know that i have deconverted from maybe a version of evangelical christianity but probably christianity in general i'm just maybe seeing if there's any last vestiges of it that might be worth salvaging and i think i deconstructed to the point there was really not a lot left to or certainly to the point where you're like well even if it's true what's the big deal why bother um it's, it's a bit like you church why what good is it what does it do me i mean i hated church from the beginning to the end the sermons were boring they didn't tell me anything i didn't know they were it's all pretty obvious life lessons and uh, information they'd often do a bit of pseudo psychology in there you know about uh, how having a happy family and a good dynamics was a, a, a great way to to live your life that kind of thing um there's some practical living points yeah fine okay that was it was all right but essentially it was dull it was long i hated the singing i'm not interested in the music uh, i don't believe worship is necessary to do with music at all um i think it's a way of life it's a posture so um you know the way you ride your bike to work can be a worship if you want to that's what i'd understood um could be the case so i was you know i was pretty much on the liberal end to, uh, for most of my life um i didn't think it mattered if i went to church or not though i did know that in the bible it did say you you know it's important that believers gather together and that the devil picks off those that are not in, rooted in community so from that point of view but i think a church can be a group of people who meet who maybe discuss things who throw around ideas who um well i suppose it would have involved praying for each other um worshiping was just just serving each other it could have been just that it could be as simple as that i don't believe a church was a 10 o'clock meeting in a building that you have to attend it was it was very loose for me it was very um yeah quite relaxed i didn't particularly like it i didn't, didn't particularly like the people because they were very quickly into you must do this you must do that you must join this group you must try and join this ministry and i'm just like i work nine to five you guys <laughs> work for the church you know <laughs> i can't take it too seriously no i you know i don't want to join all these things just leave me alone so i was quite I'm quite strong in that in that sort of respect oh. i didn't get pushed around i didn't find it overbearing i didn't let people over overbear me I, I was i remember very distinctly a, an altar call for who wants more of god in their life well who asks a question like that when you're christian you're supposed to say yes yeah. right. so, um everybody was encouraged to come and kneel at the front and i thought i'm not 
giving into peer pressure and me and one other guy sat at the back with our arms crossed and were like we ain't doing it because i'm only going to be doing it because of peer pressure and i'm not going to do it so you know i'd stand by my principles and mm-hmm. and uh and not be be pushed around by it and um as i say i had i had a more and more open view of hell i thought people only went there if they really if they were really wicked and didn't repent and had been shown god if they hadn't been shown god they got a they got that baby ticket as david calls it but it's just none of it makes sense, Teddy. At the end of the day, why why would God set this this up? Why don't why not make these things super clear? If there is a heaven and there is a hell, it is negligent to the point of being tried in the Hague for c- crimes against humanity. Not I- to make that expressly clear in every single text. And there's not they don't they didn't even believe in hell. The Jews the Jews had Sheol, which was just the grave. And they had, and then they were influenced a little bit by Hades. The word there was no word hell in the Bible. There was there was Hades, Sheol, and then Jesus pops up and starts talking about Gehenna, which goodness knows what really it meant, but something it was a rubbish dump outside the, uh, uh, the the city. So it all got mashed together in translation, and and suddenly we've got this doctrine of hell, Dante's Inferno, in the mid and the middle med, medieval ages and things brought brought it all to life about. And so and then and now we've got people who believe in a literal hell, whereas. It's not even explicit in the Bible, no matter. Yeah, I just well, that's what I looked at. I looked at some of the of the uh, history of it. Same with the with the with the with the devil. You've got the Genesis account of a snake. There's no, it doesn't say it's the devil. Um, it's just and then the Satan who is actually what means adverse uh, adversary uh, to God, so somebody who is thwarting God's purposes. And uh, at some point, God even calls himself a Satan because he's um, standing against what he wants to achieve is it's in kings and i can't remember the chronicles or something like that but um where one time it's uh somebody standing in god's way and sometimes and another time it's god and they use the same they they use the same the same stories told twice but one inferring from the other that they're actually saying god is satan as in standing against himself for his for his will and i just the whole thing of the devil then just started falling apart and you just realize this is just metaphor this is just allegory this isn't this isn't literal there's no so i mean so I, fine, yeah, I don't but, know if it's if it's you know figurative or or not in terms of hellfire and that sort of thing but uh you know i prefer to hedge my bets but it, there's more to god though <clears throat> when david brings up the situation of somebody kidnapping your child uh and saying you do this or else that person it it's it's a bad analogy to try to compare that person to god because god is the person that has given us so many things he has given us life he has given us the you know get out of hell free card by having his son die on the cross in the most gory humiliating way as a uh, show to us of how deeply he loves us. Um, And so uh, he's trying to, to woo us to make the right choice. But there's the question of if God makes everything so crystal clear in terms of what choice we need to make, you know, everything's uh, great 
in heaven and everything's horrific in hell, then there's not much of a choice when it's 100% clear. So it's better to be vague and just let people take potluck? I mean, I, I think that he wants to see who's going to gravitate towards him without having that 100% certainty. Um, but is it supposed to act as a carrot and a stick or, or is it not? I mean, on the one hand, you want it to act like a, something that woos us. And on the other hand, it's got to be a little bit behind smoke and mirrors. So you're not sure quite what it's all about. And then you get you get you don't pass the test at the end of your life. They go, oh, you know, you could have believed in this. You didn't believe in this. Off to hell you go. And we're talking about eternity. So, I mean, how long for somebody not believing quite the right thing when it's not very clear? Should they spend it in torture, pain or absence of God or love or in a dark place, even if it's just that, if it's just the absence? Why should they be? Why should they, they spend a million years, two million years, three? It's going to be for eternity. That's at some point well, they should be allowed. We to presume. Think, I made it wrong. I got got it wrong. What's wrong with, we, re, with a bit of um, rehabilitation? What about changing your mind? Why do we get just these earthly years to make such an, a monumental decision? And um, the interesting one, thing is, is that uh, there's no way that we can know everything that God has planned for us. And there's no way of knowing. Uh, that's why when I see some atheists being very judgmental about God, you know, I, I tell them, you know, stop and think, you don't know everything that God might do. Maybe God will give people a second chance up in heaven, or maybe, you know, they have a penalty for X amount of time or not. No, I'm not going to bank on those kind of assumptions. That, to me, uh, doesn't seem very wise. But we can't uh, assume that the Bible gives us, especially with how many times it's been translated and and different versions of the Bible, uh, I am not one to assume that every single 100% bit of knowledge that I need to know about God is in the Bible. God, being the creator, he can do whatever he wants. And uh, we don't know uh, if, if he might do cut people some slack that didn't uh, fall in on earth or, or maybe there's a temporary punishment. Yeah. Who knows? Would, would, would you do it as a parent if your kid didn't believe quite the right thing because they're a kid and they haven't experienced that long on life? Would you then tell them that at 20 they've made a binary choice? Would you do that with no ability to change it, learn from it, uh, be re rehabilitated from it? Would you do uh, that as a parent? I wouldn't do that as a parent, and I'm not even a parent, but well, I, don't know I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't a do a it. binary choice in terms of, you know, follow in with what I tell you or I'm, you know, you're dead to me or, you know, in what yeah, respect? It's pretty, it's pretty much what you're saying that the Bible may be saying, and, and uh, at least to be uh, wise, we should hedge our bets. Do you also do that for the Islamic God? Do you also do it for the Hindu gods? Do you also hedge your bets for the other gods that might be out there that you think? No, I I don't because I I try to go with uh, with where the evidence leads me. I always like to quote that uh, David Hume uh, quote. I don't know that if I've got it 100% the quote, but you know roughly that's what he says. 
And, you know, he's an atheist now. He, he doesn't follow the evidence very well, if you ask me, but, uh, you know. Well, what's the evidence? And we're going to talk post-1970, because there's quite <laughs> almost 2,000 years there where there's no shroud evidence to keep it on a more even even kill what what's the i mean well, there was sh- the shroud you know was certainly around before so bef- before we go there i just i hate to step in because the conversation is is doing so well without me uh in fact i just i want to go get a sandwich and, <laughs> and then just come back and see how this is going but um there is a place i want it before i go get my sandwich <laughs> there's a there's a place i wanted to um cover before you guys got to this place so we have kind of established i think teddy that church is maybe not terribly important to you for whatever reason whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that it's important to you it's not terribly important to you but a lot of things that you were saying are in fact dependent on how one interprets the bible um and so uh, i wanted to find out where you stood with regard to the bible and understand that's a different question than where you stand mm-hmm. with regard to a church. Uh, so, but I, I do want to say I, I don't know that you've completely characterized it correctly. I think, I do think church is very important, and uh, I think it's really great for people to go to church. And the church does a lot more than just what they do in terms of Sunday services. They do things for the community. And so I do not want to come across as trying to in any way belittle the church. I think that that is, uh, for example, I, in terms of gatherings, I prefer small intimate Mm -hmm. gatherings with a couple of friends versus going to big parties. Um, I think you can do church with just a couple of friends. I th- as I say, I think it's just community, having um, fellow- fellowship, that word, with like-minded believers or, you know, th- I think we can call church that. If you and like, and, and I, don't, I certainly don't mean to mischaracterize what you're saying. I'm, you know, I, I think that you might have some interesting conversations in the, um, in the blog this week <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. is all. But I, I'm trying to get your sense of where you are on the Bible which is a different question than where you are on the church. Because mm-hmm. many of the things that you're saying are based solely, 100% on words in the book. And so, for instance, whatever you believe about hell, for instance, you don't get that from history. You, you get that from a Bible. And so mm-hmm. what you believe about the Bible, you know, is it the word of God? Uh, is it literal? Is it not literal? Uh, how much of it uh, matters? Is it all important? These things are kind of important in evaluating what you're saying. So why don't we why don't we start with just a a, a few basic questions to to get some level setting here uh, with you with with regard to the Bible? Um, so would you would you say that the Bible is the Word of God? Uh, I was always taught that it was it was uh divinely inspired by god and i don't know if that's uh how factual that is i uh so is that is that a no is that a no in terms of is it the word of god Uh, no i mean i do i do think it is i take it 
as the word of God, you no, know, given how many times it's been translated, uh, sometimes very subtle shifts uh, with translations can shift words and meaning. And, and so it so, becomes so tricky then, to then know. Tell us You're not the, wrong tell on us, that. <laughs> yeah, tell us in what way that it is the word of God in your mind, because you, you gave me a kind of a yes there. So how uh, yes, is it the yes, word I've, of God? Well, that's what it purports to be. And, and so I, it. I do. Okay. So hang on a minute. When he said that's what it purports to be, it wasn't anything until about 350, is it? 350 AD? There was no Bible. There was just a collection of those Torah and the Old Testament and stuff, but not there was no Bible until 350. So I don't know how it can claim something for itself until it's been collated. I mean, it's just a collection of writings. Yeah, you've got poetries, psalms and things like that. You've got gospel accounts, more historic. You've got... Um, yeah, all, all manner of types of genre of literature. There's not somebody who said, I'm writing the Bible from A to Z, and this is what it's supposed to be, and this is what it's, um, um, yeah, just, uh, well, it's aim. It's a, and It's a book that's saying that, you know, Jesus said this and Jesus said that. So, uh, you know, it, it to me, it has a lot of history in it. And uh, but it also makes claims that Jesus said certain things. And then I, I think that when you put that together uh, with the shroud, that's what makes the shroud of Turin so compelling in terms of evidence that the Bible uh, is true. Now, what, what I was saying in terms of uh, if you're going to nitpick <laughs> with what different if you're going to do apologetics mean. maybe <laughs> right I mean if you nitpick with what certain verses mean the Bible's been translated you've got different versions of the Bible and so I personally uh, I tend to focus on the big picture and I don't get lost I, I, I at least try not to get lost in the weeds of, uh, what do you what do you call weeds, um, Teddy? Because, for example, the Sermon on the Mount is written in such a way that pretty much every scholar knows that Jesus did not deliver it that way. It is not a record of what he said. There are bits that are added later. Some scribe added stories, like the woman is the woman at the well, isn't it? I'm not uh, talking rubbish here. Um, that the story where. Um, uh, Jesus doesn't condemn the woman at the well for adultery. It was added in later. We don't know who by or, or or when. The early, very early copies didn't have it, for example. So there's there's tons of things like that. They they mistranslated the word virgin, which is absolutely key. Um, but uh, in the Old Testament, it said uh, it was written in Hebrew, and I think they used the word Alma. But uh, was it Matthew or Mark? One of those two was. Uh, it must be Matthew, isn't it? Uh, um, accidentally translated it instead of being young woman he uh, used the Greek which meant virgin and that's how we got the virgin story but the original Hebrew said Alma just young woman mm-hmm. um, so there's lots of things like that that the scholars will tell you that the Christian scholars will tell you that's what firstly caused my uh, belief to crumble was what the scholarship said on the Christian side, not on the far wacky, you know, out there mythicist or anything just completely like off the scale. This is what mainline Christianity was teaching in seminary schools uh, and was accepted as, as all right. I mean, they do 
change over time, there's new evidence comes to light, etc. They might um, uh, vary their view, but it was far from what I thought, which was it's on solid footing. The scholars know what they're talking about. You would be an idiot not to think that this the Gospels are genuine accounts um, written very shortly after. It's always said that compared to other texts, etc., etc. But the reality is it's written by an oral tradition that was passed on over decades where somebody eventually in the 60s decided to write the Gospel of Mark down, the very earliest one, um, and it was what somebody said, somebody said, that Jesus said. Uh, all right, they've been repeating it, and the Jews have this tradition and things, but somebody writes this down. Uh, we don't know who the authors are. We don't know. They then make copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies of copies before we even have a fragment of the actual original text. So, And we know that the, the people doing the copies were not... Um, professional scribes they were just uh, just people who were making copies and so you don't know what the original said and you know that things were added and you know that scribes made um, scribes made notes in the, in the um, corners who the hell are these scribes anyway we don't know they're not disciples they're not eyewitnesses necessarily and then you eventually get a couple of little scraps and eventually all of the thing gets collated with books getting thrown out some books getting back, added back in to a canon which isn't totally agreed on between Protestants and Catholics anyway and that's what we go forward and it was far from the evidence as being slam dunk there's so many things in there like the virgin thing which totally totally changes the story and you can see the progression between mark which is stops at the empty tomb and uh, then the later gospels where there's more and more myth i mean if you read bartum and he tells you a lot about this this type of thing where um, you know, in John, you have all the, it's not just an angel coming to tell you uh, a message. It's hundreds of angels telling you the message. It's um, really grand acts of uh, signs and wonders. Everything Jesus does is a sign and wonder. Whereas in Mark, it's a lot more unclear. And you can just almost see how the later gospels written another 30 years later, like us writing something that happened back in the 80s, um, and writing it down, do you think we'd necessarily really know what was happening? We know that you must know from your own work that eyewitness uh, accounts are some of the most unreliable things you can base a case on because they vary so much. Um, and the later ones do look a lot more like legend. There's all there's a lot more you know mystical stuff happening. Um, and and you suddenly and you you can do simple things like compare the uh, birth narratives and the tomb narratives, the resurrection narratives together, and have a look at how many discrepancies there are. Okay, some of them are minor. I don't know that there are discrepancies as opposed to just different perspectives in terms there's of different days different hours uh, different numbers of people coming to the t you literally can't reconcile them and the, Christ the christian scholars oh. will tell you this mike lacona craig um craig evans i think his name is i was going to get mixed up with kina but um they will say we know enough that we know the gist that's what they'll go on record saying and this and it's just that this is getting taught in seminary schools, which is why so many students leave the seminary schools, because they're like, you what? This isn't like dictated by God, by the first person who's actually witnessed this happening. It's like, no, we've no idea who wrote them. We've no idea when they were collated. We don't know how they were, they were, they were, they were written, apparently, in a different country to where the events took place. That I can't even get my head around. Well, and my, they were written, my they were written in Greek and... 
you know, Jesus spoke Aramaic. So the whole thing for me is just, it's not great evidence at the end well, of the Jesus day. Well, Jesus spoke what... Greek as well, though. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, um, and I think Aramaic is, isn't that a form of uh, speaking uh, in Hebrew? I think it's early Hebrew, isn't it? I don't know enough about uh, it. I think it's, I think it's like a form or it evolved from that. Uh, but I, but I know that Jesus spoke Greek as well. Um, but, but my understanding, and I'm, I'm no biblical scholar and uh, I'm at a disadvantage in this discussion because, you know, David having been a pastor for many years and, um, Don't and mind I think me, I'm just eating a sandwich in my yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, David may be a lay skeptic, but he, is, he was never a lay Christian, or not for very long, since he started preaching at seven. Isn't that mm -hmm. right? Twelve. So, uh, but, you I was know, leading and that's, worship at seven. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, <laughs> one of the things that I will say, at least the, the church that I grew up in, and I don't think that there was as much of the emphasis, uh, the way you see in some churches, of um, being heavy on the educating of the youth in the church. For example, I'll know, I know people who have... Uh, children and they go to some of these Baptist churches and, you know, they're big on having children memorize scripture and, and some parents uh, have their kids do that at home. And, you know, I'm sure there's a decent amount of those kids that might be some of the people that turn atheist later on just because they're perhaps sick of you know, doing that sort of stuff. I don't know. Well, I'm but, talking about seminary students who were who were going into the seminary, presumably to be theologians or pastors or preachers or, or whatever, who are discovering these perfectly known facts, which you can Google anyway. You can look on Wikipedia, it'll tell you about Mark's gospel, um, or you can just look at any other. There's only very, very small amounts of fundamental Christians who refute these these types of things when you, when you kind of you know, I didn't. I didn't go Dale on it in terms of right. deep I, and I wide and every scholar out there. Wikipedia. I looked into. Yeah, all right. Wiki's not not the the most. I mean, important they frequently thing, but, you have know. an agenda, and it's not pro-Christian. That's for sure. Uh, no, no, uh, but my understanding is that, for example, a lot of these contradictions that people talk about in the Bible are are really not contradictions at all. For example, with the resurrection, it, it's, you know, sometimes the accounts vary, but it's only because people were in different places and, and had a different uh, perspective in terms of what they were, what they witnessed. So if somebody sees something at, uh, I'm just making stuff up right now, two o'clock, uh, they go, they see, there's a car wreck on the interstate and somebody sees it happen and then somebody else only comes onto the scene midway. Uh, and then somebody else comes at the tail end of when the, the police and the ambulances are carrying everybody away and towing the, the wrecked cars away. Well, those are all going to be different stories and different accounts of the same thing that doesn't mean that one is inaccurate and the other isn't but they came in at different points in time and so their reports are going to not be the same 
And of course, I can also tell you, uh, as a criminal defense attorney, that eyewitness testimony is uh, frequently uh, fraught with with problems in terms of what people remember. Uh, but I, I don't think that that's <laughs> this the is what, issue this is arguing for our side exactly what no, we're saying. No, no, it's not. Yeah. It, because that doesn't mean that they're not being truthful, and that doesn't mean that the overarching story that they're telling is not is not accurate. Uh, no, it, it has to do more with identifications, for example. Uh, where eyewitness testimony is horrible. And we don't really have that issue with, uh, with Jesus because oh, we these do. Are a lot of, we a have, lot of the people who saw him knew him very well. They all need proof. There's Thomas that doesn't believe it's him. There's the two people on the road that are like only when their eyes are open. There's his, I mean, his brother, for example, James, he's living with the son of God for most of his life, presumably. And he doesn't even believe he's the son of God until he sees him resurrected. I mean, how but much more? But then he did. And so the turnaround yeah, well, I want, is I evidence want a, for us. For our I want that kind of evidence. I want that kind of evidence. But why is it not? It's there, why in, the, it's there in the Bible. Well, um, let me, okay, but, so let me, let me just jump in here real quick because a lot, lot is gone by and I don't take notes. And so I've forgotten most of what I want to ask. <laughs> um, but I still hung on to this one nugget. <laughs> so way back when... Um, when I ask, uh, how do you know the Bible um, is the Word of God, you said, because it says so. Does that strike you as a little circular? Uh, well, yes. If that, if that were all that I was relying okay, on... Okay, so I want that, to reset that, yes. that question. Why do you say the Bible is the Word of God? Okay, so uh, there is the, you know, pre- knowledge of the shroud and then there's post knowledge of the shroud and i will what do you mean uh, by pre-knowledge of the shroud okay so i i think i'd mentioned that that i learned of the shroud when i was 16 or 17 years old it was probably around easter time when you know uh life magazine or maybe u.s news and world report you know has a big image of the shroud on it and it, you know, was probably at the grocery store with my mother, see it there as we're checking out and it catches my attention. Uh, or either it was either that that was first or possibly hearing something on television and then seeing a magazine. But it, I, I ended up learning about it uh, that way. And so it piqued my curiosity, as I would imagine it would pique everybody's curiosity, uh, and so I then ended up, uh, going to a bookstore and getting a book on it. And, uh, the, the book I read, it was, uh, the one written by Gary Habermas and, uh, I forget the other author's name. It was co-written, but, uh, it was a fascinating read. And I remember that, and it was called Verdict on the Shroud. I've since uh, acquired other books and have uh, read many scholarly articles, scientific articles about it on the internet. Uh, okay, Shroud.com. Just, just, just try to help me connect uh, uh-huh. this to uh, how how does this tell you that the Bible is the Word of God? Okay, so so before I learned of the Shroud, I was 
brought up in the church. And so I accepted what my parents were teaching me, what the church was teaching me. And I did, I didn't have anything to go on other than just the presumption that what they were saying was true. But that, and it's so in terms of what evidence do you have for that? Back when I was young, I didn't know some of the other more sophisticated um, arguments and evidence for God's existence. So I just took it on faith. But then with the shroud, then there became this uh, just a whole bunch of scientific evidence that supports that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and that correlates so that with a lot a little, of what's in the Bible. That sounds a little post hoc. Then. So no, you, you had a, well, you had a faith in the Bible, and then you found this thing that helped you confirm it. Right, so but that, I was a child. I was a child, and so children tend to believe what their parents tell them. So, do, do you have anything is, other than the shroud then that convinces you that the Bible is the Word of God? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, quite frankly, the shroud, uh, given how compelling it is when you when you put together history and science right i, I get that um, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of kind of moving us through because we've got a lot of topics can you right. tell me something other than the shroud that confirms that the bible is the word of god for you well sure um i think that when we start to think in terms of how did uh, the universe come into existence and you know we learn about the big bang theory and with the all of what scientists are telling us that uh, like what what is it the second law of thermodynamics with entropy, uh, you know the universe has not always existed and it seems like it is running out of energy that it's not going to carry on at the same right. How does that uh, confirm that the Bible is the word of God? Well, so then so then one has to. Well, one doesn't have to ask, but people who are curious about things, it's like, how did how did we come about, and how an impersonal know, force? I mean, that could be a, an option. A what? A personal an impersonal force. You know, that's uh, it, it's possible that it's an impersonal force, kind of like what uh, deists think versus mm -hmm. theists. Uh, you know, sure, that's a possibility. So it, uh, so it wouldn't support the whether the Bible itself is... So, okay, we granted it's some sort of impersonal force, maybe a God, but it doesn't prove what the... As David's trying to get at, why the Bible is the word of God or whether every word... In, as I think maybe... Do you also mean inerrant, David, as well? Because that's quite well, a... So as like I, a as I was of, listening to the conversation, I was... When, when I first asked the question, uh, Teddy, you kind of hedged a little bit on you know, how, how reliable you thought the Bible was. But as the conversation progressed, you started defending the Bible in ways that inerrantists do, uh, in saying things like, oh, no, there are no contradictions. Well, that's something that an inerrantist would say. Someone who actually is a little bit more casual about the Bible would say, yeah, the Bible probably has some errors. But you don't go there. Uh, well, I'm just saying you're, that... You're like, that oh, no, the Bible is perfect. It's, it, it doesn't have any uh No, 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 that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm... I, I'm I'm saying I am allowing uh, 
and you know my position on anything's possible, David. Uh, but uh, I am certainly allowing uh, very much so for the possibility, especially with all of the translations and the versions of the Bible, that there might be things that aren't perfectly consistent with the small things. Uh, okay, so you do how- believe that there could be uh, contradictions? Yes, but what what I was referring to before is a lot of times people will bring up some big contradictions, like with the resurrection. Those contradictions, uh, from from the little that I have read about them, uh, you know, if you ever want to do a show where we delve into them, I can do research to be better prepared to to argue it. But just off the top of my head, I have read that those are actually not contradictions. Okay, so, so you if, don't believe that there are contradictions in the story that you care about, but there might be contradictions in stories that you don't care about. Well, and to me, the big, the big stuff, you know, it's the gospel and in terms of the resurrection, because without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. Well, I think, I, that, I quite I think, agree. I think I that's quite true, agree. but without Genesis, yeah. there's no Christianity either. So I don't, I don't think that you can quite quite separate uh, that neatly. Uh, so yes, you do need the resurrection, but you also need the virgin birth, for instance. Uh, if you don't have a virgin birth, you don't have that Jesus that they talk about in the Gospels. And if that Jesus doesn't exist, then he couldn't have possibly risen because he didn't exist. So there's it, there are a lot of interconnects here. Um, you know, humans have to have fallen uh, into sin because of the choices of uh, Adam and Eve, and if that didn't happen, then we didn't get a fall. And uh, well, I don't. The I mean, of salvation there's, there's, a, there's it all interconnects. My understanding, though, is that uh, there's a big debate among Christians in terms of, and probably I'm sure Jews as well, since it's in the Old Testament, the Torah, that uh, you know some people view uh, Genesis and how creation is described in, in a very uh, well, I was about to say a literal way, but uh, one of the things that is important with taking things literally is one must examine the context. So if you're reading mythology, there's a certain writing style that, that goes with that. In the Bible? I, I think that there's some allegory. I wouldn't say mythology. I think that Jesus, for example, Jesus frequently. Uh, told parables to convey an idea. Right. So other it's, than those Jesus parables, do you think that there are allegories in the Bible that some of the things that people read literally are just allegorical? I, I think that, and I'm not a scholar, but I, I get the impression uh, that uh, in terms of Genesis, in terms of how the world was created, that I, I'm not certain whether that is to be taken word for word, like this no. is the. Uh, Let me throw you a bone here. This, this is this 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 literal version of Genesis is like a hundred years old. It's a kind of a mostly um, a Protestant thing that happened in the states where you're all obsessed with it being literal. This is not how the Jews necessarily needed to view their scope their um, scriptures. It, um, for them, it's not a problem to have tension in the text where it's a myth that. It's true, but never happened. Things like that. They're, they're much more. It's, we're talking about in an ancient Near Eastern uh, civilization. They don't literally think like us. If it's written down in black and white, it is true. It happened like this. I think pretty much everybody can. Well, certainly in the UK, it's not even 
comes up as an issue that um, there's a young earth, that Genesis is literal. It is a story about the human nature and how God created it. And so I would even, if you, just to help you out here, you can see the Bible as a collection of um, writings from this ancient civilization of their understanding of the divine and i think even if you as a christian you view the text that way and approach it that way it would help you because you don't have to believe it as a north american in 2020 where it's every word has to be exactly right or you know well, but it's, see, but, I, don't, I think that that's a little too broad right. i think that's very broad i think there are many north americans that do not take uh, Genesis as yeah sure sure, sure. Uh, but you know but, but I'm not actually, I'm not going to actually let you pick up that bone right now uh, that Sarah threw you um, I threw no you. I uh, but here's it was but uh, yeah it's, here's the, here's the problem I'm trying to eliminate the wiggle room first mm-hmm. so that yes. we understand exactly what you're talking about when you talk about the Bible because mm-hmm. for about 20 minutes or so you spoke very clearly about arguments that are very bibliocentric. Uh, in other words, you can't get those arguments from anywhere but the Bible. So it, you have to view the Bible in a certain way to take seriously uh, you know, the, the bulk of the conversation you've had with Sarah right now. So now I need to figure out and eliminate as much wiggle room as possible what it is you're talking about when you talk about the Bible. So if there is, for instance, uh, mythology or allegory in the Bible that uh, maybe could be mistaken... Uh, for something else, then I need to make sure, um, you know, when you're talking about the Bible, are you are you maybe mistaking some things for allegory yourself? Is is that possible? Uh, when you say that the Bible, you know, is not necessarily inerrant, then I need to know well what parts uh, maybe have errors because when I when I one of the one of the moves that Christians like yourself makes is oh yeah the Bible could have errors but on this stuff that I care about it couldn't. I think that um, you have I, to examine the writing style, and there's a certain writing style that occurs. I'm sorry, the writing style doesn't have anything to do with whether there's an error. Well, uh, no, the writing style does have something to do with whether one is storytelling versus whether one is reporting like a reporter does uh, in terms of reporting the facts. Right, and, but in, in, terms, in terms of errors, I just want to keep this focus here just for a moment. I need to hold your feet to the fire. Uh, we were talking about the Jesus story in particular. We're talking about Jesus' resurrection. We're talking about things like virgin birth. We're talking about things that might be, uh, you know, the contra- various contradictions. You said, oh, no, those can't be contradictions. And yet you think that the Bible could have errors. And I'm trying to sort out how this works then, that the things that you care about are perfect without errors. Um, well, I'm. I first of all, I didn't say they can't be contradictions. I said that they they didn't contradict each other, and so there's a difference um, in terms of what that means. But it, in terms of, I, I I think you do have to look at the writing style. If there are, I'm not aware of any contradictions, and if we ever want to do a show where we. Uh, you know, talk about contradictions and we bring up some stuff, then, you know, because all I know is that a lot of times these skeptics are going to bring up something, but they don't always tell you the whole okay. story. So I don't, I don't so, want to hit you with something that 
I know that you didn't prepare for, but I will be doing a podcast soon mm-hmm. um, on on this very subject, and I'm fairly well versed in the various contradictions and uh, discrepancies and such. So I don't I, I don't think it would be fair, uh, frankly, for me to to throw out uh, three or four examples where you would just your your response would be well I would have to look into that. Right, um, right. But, so that, uh, if that, you would, ever that wouldn't do any Sure, if if we ever did, but that still wouldn't be the point because the Christian can if what you're if what you're saying is well I can harmonize anything. I agree. You probably can. There there are ways yeah. to yeah. mentally, you know, gymnastic yourself around pretty much any problem uh in the Bible. How many brothers did David have? Well, he had 6 or 7 or 8. The Bible confirms them all. Um there, there are ways to gymnastic yourself. God the author of of, uh, of evil. Um, That's another but one. The, the reason, <laughs> yes, the no. reason a person would do that harmonization is because they start with a framework that the Bible can't have errors, and this is why I was particularly interested in the way you were dealing with the Bible. Because yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna just go with the harmonization game of you can't possibly come up with a contradiction that I can't fix, great. Okay, then what we're doing then is is you really do believe that the Bible is inerrant, and if that's what you believe, let's let's say that and deal with it from that perspective. I, I would I would say um, that you know from. From what I am aware of, I'm not aware of uh, true contradictions in the Bible. I am aware that it's been translated, and and there are different versions, and that can wreak havoc on interpretation and and what people read. So you're just saying that we could misunderstand it, but that it's not actually wrong. Sure, and and I don't, you know, unfortunately, I don't... uh, have a way to know for sure, you know, I've heard some people describe the Bible as uh, like an like an old-fashioned record player where uh, the, the people who wrote the Bible were like the needle on the arm of the record player and God was channeling the information down. Yeah. I don't, you know, none of us really know exactly. These are all... Why do you believe the Jesus stuff is so clear and understandable then? So just as an example, and I'll I'll let you guys jump back in here. Because of the shroud. Well, well, let me me just take that. Let's take it a little steps at a time. Baby steps. Baby, take it. Baby steps. Um, Do you believe the virgin birth uh, is a literal thing? I have no reason to doubt it. It it would be a miracle. It's not the question that I ask. I just gave you one. <laughs> not the question I asked. Do you believe the virgin birth was literal, yes or no? If I had to pick a yes or no, I'd say yes. Okay. All right. Um, and uh, Jesus walking on water, yes? I would say yes. I have okay. no... Resur- great resurrection of Matthew 27 when... Uh, uh, many saints came from the tombs and appeared to many. I, uh, yes, you know, all of these things. I wasn't there, so there's no, um, no, no, no. Don't equivocate. <laughs> I no, am no, trying no, to. I am trying to figure out where you are. Honest, and do you want me to be accurate? You don't. 
is this a game of gotcha? Or no, it's, we... a, it's a, I'm trying to figure it out is a what game you, of gotcha, I'm trying to but... figure out what you mean when you talk about these things from the Bible. But I, I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is, mm-hmm. uh, we have the Bible. We have, there is a, we don't have a hundred percent knowledge in no way, shape or form about the Bible. So there is faith that goes into that. So when you say yes or no, can there be any errors? I, I can't be certain. And that's why. But it's not about that though. It's about what you actually, it's about what you actually believe. And so that's why I'm asking you what you believe about these things. Here's the thing, David. Uh, and I've mentioned, you know, many times on the boards and I mentioned, uh, week before last with the miracles episode, I too uh, have a very skeptical mind. And so uh, having been brought up in the church, I, 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 I've always believed I have not had reason to disbelieve. And I've also have a personality type to where I don't have a problem with authority. Uh, it, if if nothing else, you know, take in Pascal's wager. If nothing else, if it's all uh, uh, inaccurate, it's still a great way to live. And so, it to me, it's win win. Uh, don't have a problem with that. If it turns out that none of it's true, there's not a whole lot that I. I mean, there there might be some things that would have changed in life, but it's. I think I come out, uh, you know, on the plus side. Uh, but, but the thing is, is that if you if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, um, if if you do not accept the shroud, there is far more faith. There is a far greater gap in one's knowledge. Uh, Which so has been the case more... for thousands of years. Right, right. Years. And so, and so it, it does require a greater percentage of faith to coincide with some of the other arguments. Because there's history. There are historical references. Uh, you know, let's not forget the historical references that have been made by um, Pliny the Younger, you know, all these other guys. Uh, Tacitus. Uh, so it's did, not like did any of them reference the resurrection of Jesus. No, they made one one line mostly, aren't they? Yeah, about uh, where, where, well, what reference uh, to the resurrection of Jesus would you be referring to? I I would have to. I had pulled an article. I didn't get to finish I will, I will reading it. I will happily put it in the show notes uh, and, if you want to oh, okay. get it later, so you don't Perfect. have to worry yes, about it. Yes, yes, because I've got it in front of me. So what I would uh, say is that none of the references that you think that are references uh, actually reference the resurrection. Um, um, let's see. Well, I think I think yeah, we do cut to the chase, David. No, they yeah. don't. <laughs> I'll have to. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, right. So I mean, I so that so that's fine. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you. In terms of Jesus is a historical mm-hmm. figure, but I will post it. It's right. Jesus um, as a historical figure, but not Jesus as a resurrected um, uh, savior. Well, no, no I, one no one refers I didn't to a get resurrection. To finish reading the 
the article. The Jews believe he's a, he's a, even today. Oh, wait a minute, he's wait a, a minute. historical figure. That's not a problem. Oh, um, wait a minute. As you, as you say, the key thing is, did he or did he not resurrect from the grave? There was something did, that dealt with the myth, the, uh, where they were saying kind of like it was a myth. So there, there may have been, but again, you've, I, I, well, I don't, I, would, I don't want to rush you with that. I will post what you come up with. I promise. Yeah. Even if it's in the middle of the week, you don't have to worry about it. Um, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. I think I just found it. Okay. Um, here, here's it. Uh, but what are we to make of Tacitus's rather enigmatic statement that Christ, death briefly checked a most mischievous superstition which subsequently arose not only in Judea but also in Rome. One historian suggests that Tacitus is here bearing indirect testimony to the conviction of the early church that the Christ who had been crucified had risen from the grave. There you go. And it's got a footnote. Well, I'll I'll be glad to include it. That's a bit too indirect. Well, that's a bit like (laughs) the New York Times reporting on something. You're just saying that there was Christians that believed that. That's not necessarily saying. And it it. it doesn't actually mention the resurrection. So we can can assume that that's what it meant and and that Tacitus was referring to it. But this is not Tacitus. This This is not Tacitus acknowledging a resurrection. Well, but it's 64 AD is where that comes from. And so... Uh, I thought Tacitus was 120. Uh, no, here... What, what this wrong. article maybe. says, it says evidence from Tacitus, and it's... Uh, I put to the side 64 AD because I figured that that would be relevant. Um, but so the anyway, only one who mentions it in the first century is Josephus, which I made uh, incorrect. Uh observation last time i did know about josephus under under the hundred years but um uh he he's pretty largely uh we know he went through christian hands and we know that it's po- quite possibly uh a fake writing in terms he of the christian resurrection no he so. no but he's it's the only mention of christ but i did say like on the other podcast that there was no mention of jesus in the first century that there, there is josephus but it did go through christian hands we know it probably got doctored um oh, and there's pliny the younger and that who also doesn't mention a resurrection also uh, post 100. I'll have to w- let me do a little bit of research. Oh and, dear. Um, don't send yeah. don't. <laughs> this is what I did. This is what I did. Exactly we all what, did you, it. what you're doing. We all did it. We all mar- marched down those streets. We know exactly where you're going. Yeah. You think it's solid. You've been told it's yeah. solid. You've been told anybody who disagrees is on on the, you know, is against God and stuff like that. And then you just look at the scholarship well, that but, the Christians agree with and you're like, "You what? How how well, poor is this evidence? Thing, it's not though. good enough." And I, I know this is going to sound terrible, but I'm going to say it anyway. Oh, good. Uh, why would I trust the research of you know, your research in David's? Not that y'all are trying to be shady or anything, but y'all also have researched the shroud, and y'all see after one or two things that say the shroud is fake on the internet, and y'all don't go further. So y'all will pardon me if I would prefer to do my own research. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no. Don't, don't believe our research. Join the ranks of those who uh, said the same thing. I mean, yeah, why yeah. should I listen to that jerk? 
he he left the church, so obviously his brain was addled. <laughs> but I see how I see how well y'all trust in the evi- the scientific evidence, the compelling scientific evidence of the shroud. How y'all give that short shrift? So no, you're and, right. And we don't give it the time. Stronger I, I than than stuff from no. Tacitus. I mean, so, I come from a tr- church tradition that didn't give it. Uh, any credence either so i mean well, so there are a lot of i didn't even know about it till right. three or four years ago and then i was just like i googled it and it was like fake 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 on all the websites so you didn't even, google enough you didn't okay google fine enough. but that which may be the case but if that's all i came across with and with the like a pure heart i was still a christian at the time and if i th- if that's what i came out and i thought okay fine you don't need to uh, to take it any se- more serious than that and that's what most people will will come to that's not unreasonable to think that they'll type those in see those um uh that that th- that evidence there and think okay fine i can i can close that d- document it's not no. unreasonable if that's all you did and nobody then told you hey fair there's enough. actually yeah, a lot enough. more so, yeah. okay. so that's that's why I, I, have I encountered always... the shroud as a Christian. I can tell you that I never. This you may not believe me because I'm just a lying atheist. I'm um, not. I that. never. <laughs> I never encountered a single person who took the shroud seriously. No, me neither. Me neither. When I was in the church, and um, well, that's unfortunate. That's, and yeah. maybe that's why you're an atheist now. Could be. Must. Might. <laughs> okay. So. Um, yeah, get getting getting a slightly back on track. Hey, Sarah, why don't you uh, accept the Bible? I mean, you seem to be very Christian friendly, um, almost exactly. Christian adjacent. See? Um, so, <laughs> moderate, moderate. So I do why like do, that about Sarah. Why do <laughs> you? Why do you? Um, why why aren't you reading your Bible every day to find nuggets of truth about life? Uh, in it, huh. in this, the, the truths about Jesus. Um, well, you might, I might surprise you here, David. I think you can. I think you can mine it for truth and wisdom. I personally don't. I don't find it a helpful book, but I think you can be a non-believer and do that. I think it's a book of ancient literature. Um, I think it's a recording of a, of this ancient near civil, uh, Eastern civilization that. Uh, wrote their thoughts and feelings about what the divine was, which is why you get this angry warlike God in the Old Testament. And then, uh, you know, as a Christian liberal, I would have said Jesus came down and changed that view and and gave a, made it clearer. So you know, I can I can talk the talk still. Um, so he came around and, and gave people a better focus of what God meant. Yeah, but um, you don't believe and- that Jesus was the Son of God. No, because so it just starts from the beginning. So, all right, I, the Genesis thing. It took me twenty minutes. I looked. I, I became a, a young Earth creationist for about all of a month. I was like, oh wow, this is so true. I had, had no idea that they were lying to us about evolution and the age of the planet. And I got all into that, researched it and stuff, and then backed away, thinking, okay, it's just the crazies. It's just the fundamentals. Their science is bad. I can. There's nobody that agrees with them apart from them in there. So that's very biased. You can. You can. It, really quickly rule that out it, i didn't need to spend more time on that and then you discover you just go from the even, even if it's allegory there's nothing about the story that makes sense i have no idea why a god wants to have a relationship with me trust me i am as dull as ditch water nobody needs to you know commune with me why would he he's he's made millions of us we are essentially 
faceless interchangeable clones we're not that special stop thinking you're a lovely little snowflake that god loves i really can't understand why this god of with all this power wants a relationship with an individual human we're dull we're repetitive we're derivative we're nothing special so not that doesn't even make sense the whole hell fantastic what are you talking about to each other to each other yes but not to a deity not to a deity absolutely not we are so dull to a deity we're just it's like having i don't you know what if Given that God is God, I, I don't think we're dull to him because if I think we were, then he would have created something else to uh, give. You know, you hey, your, hey, Teddy, you have know you, you ever wanted to have friend? a relationship with, a t- uh, with an earthworm? Exactly. Have you, have you ever you know, wanted to die for an earthworm? Oh, but you know what? He gave us intelligence. And remember, we Compared were created in nothing. his image. So oh, we're that's, not an that's earthworm. meaningless it's, talk. I don't even know what that means. It's it doesn't not mean anything. human to earthworm. We are, of course, far less than what God is. But we're not, it's not a human talking to an earthworm. But what about the relationship that humans have with their pets, like their dog? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very strong relationship. Uh, I mean, we frequently think of our pets, especially dogs, big dog lover, as family. And we have great, great love for them. And think, yeah, they're but not on over and over level. and over and over and over again for millennia. You know, you watch Neanderthals trying to like bash a bash a coconut open or whatever once it's kind of cute it's like when friends have kids oh they're walking it's amazing oh look they're first two by the tenth friend who's had the kid i can assure you i'm like yeah i know it does this i know it does this it's but gonna we walk all in a couple have of i don't care anymore personalities and none of us are the yeah, same. Yeah, we're not. We're not that unique. It's not that interesting. Well, we're pretty well, predictable. I you, don't know. I, you know, I I tend to. I don't know of any two people, even even twins, uh, that are identical. I mean, even identical twins are not identical. Shouldn't God and want so, to pal around with equals instead exactly. of uh, But instead there are no equals. That's he made the angels. There's only one God. Is in, and he could have made us higher. I mean, he made us lower than the angels. So there was a higher for him to make. Uh, so I, I find it personally, personally, just a little bit creepy, a little bit off when someone, say, a 30-year-old uh, has no... Uh, friends his or her own age and can only relate to 12 year olds that's that's a little bit off-putting uh isn't that a little off-putting to you Um, yeah but you know what there are lots of 30 year olds there's only one god so huh god has always but but if god if god wanted pets i'm just saying he could have made something higher than us he 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 intentionally. But we're created made in his lower. image, so we're pretty high. We're not. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? 